God, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they shout your reverence. And Lord God, we shout your reverence. We proclaim your glory. God, I believe it was you that led our church to this point, this place where we are. Our boast is in you. But I saw the financial report for April. Expenses are up by 7.5%. Giving is down by 7.5% over, over last year, a COVID year. Attendance on Easter was lower than any regular year that I can remember. Sometimes, God, I feel like I cannot hold this thing together. Fifteen years ago, I was pastoring one of the fastest-growing churches in America. I had books at the bookstore, agents wanting to represent me. And then I did just exactly what I thought you asked of me. Some of the people in this room followed me. As I followed you, and you know this, Jesus, I often feel like you just led us into the wilderness to die. So what's the point of preaching? What's the point of anything? What's the point of even trying? Because the whole thing feels futile. Only in you do we boast, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. You have made us like sheep led to the slaughter. So wake up, God. Why are you sleeping? Help us preach in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if my, if my prayer made you feel a little uncomfortable, you need to know that, number one, that's often how I feel. And number two, it's basically Psalm 44. Read the whole thing sometime. We just prayed the highlights. Verse 8, In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever, Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us. Verse 19, you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Verse 22, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 23, wake up. Why are you sleeping, God? Psalm 44. And that means it's literally part of the program. It was literally in the ancient hymn book of the Israelites. To complain about God in your own tent was like the most grievous of sins, but to come to the sanctuary, to come to God's tent and to complain was literally part of the program, the liturgy of ancient Israel. Psalm 44 is the most depressing of all psalms, for it doesn't even end with a happy thought, just this desperate plea, help us, deliver us, for the sake of your love. So 
So anyway, that's our prayer. Now, let's read our text for the morning. Okay, there's Romans 8, verse 31, where we left off last week. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, the preposition in Greek is, is hooper, which can be translated like above. It's where we get our words um, hyper and super. If God is hyper over us or above us, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a good question. You know, according to us, God speaks reality into existence. He's speaking all of this into existence right now. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, paradokin, for, hyper, us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Paradokin from paradidomai, I think maybe the most fascinating word in all of the New Testament. It literally means give over, but check this out. It's translated deliver and betray. Deliver up and betray or hand over. People think it's a bit horrid that God handed over or gave over his son, but we forget that God handed him over to us. He handed him over to us, and we forget that his son did the same with himself. He went to Jerusalem and handed himself over, and then we forget that they both, father and son, did the same thing with their spirit from the tree in the garden. Jesus lifted his head and delivered up his spirit. That's the spirit that now fills the sanctuary. We also forget that an only son is a good father's greatest treasure. So Paul's asking this question. Dang, if God the Father gave him, why he would give all things with him. All things. Now, wouldn't all things include all people? and not endlessly burning with fire. Here's your mother, father, your son, daughter, endlessly burning with fire. I don't think that's what he means. And all things, wouldn't that include all moments and all of space and all of time? Wouldn't it include everything except maybe nothing? But once you name nothing, it becomes something, doesn't it? Like like your sin. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now, elect means chosen. Did God choose to make Adam? Or was that like an accident? Oops, screwed up. Oops, (laughs) erase that. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Paul already made this very clear, Romans 3, 23. Remember, we've been talking about for chapters and chapters and chapters. All have sinned, Romans 3, 23, and all are justified, by God's grace, it's a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus. So, so who is to condemn? Who? Well, liars. Like you. And me. And Satan. When you condemn others and when you condemn yourself, because you do condemn yourself, right? Maybe you're condemning yourself right now for condemning others. When, when you condemn, who the hell do you think you are? Next verse. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
Now pay attention, <laughs> all right? Paul is giving the most profound, amazing exposition of the all-powerful, relentless love of God our Father, and then he chooses to quote Psalm 44. The thing that I prayed with some honesty at the start of the service. I've always been a bit confused by the quote, but especially the no. Is Paul saying that the psalmist was wrong? I think that's the way American evangelicals read the text, kind of like, well, maybe, maybe the Jews were led to the slaughter. But, you know, because of Jesus, we're not led to the slaughter. We don't have to deal with futility. You know, the Jews were, well, they are, they were and they are God's sheep. And through Moses, God led them into the wilderness, and they cried, they cried out, did you lead us out here to die? And do you remember what happened? They did. Moses and all the Israelites died in the wilderness. Only one, Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua is the Hebrew form of the word Jesus, so only Jesus, and Caleb means dog, so only Jesus and his dog made it into the promised land. Huh, at least at that time. And Paul writes this, we who live are always being given over, perodidomai, handed over, to death. And he wrote, I die daily. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Saul mevat in Hebrew, the primordial ooze, I, I shall fear no evil. He, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies the great shepherd. But have you ever wondered what's on that table? Maybe bread and wine, roast lamb? Well, it, that word no in Romans 8, 37, it's not actually in the text. That's a perfectly, there's a perfectly simple Greek word for no, ooh. But the, but the word translated no here in our Bibles is the Greek word Allah. It occurs 637 times in the New Testament. Most all of those times is translated as but, and sometimes it's a word like rather or, or whatever. Four, check this out. Four times in the English Standard Version is translated as yes. <laughs> Two times is translated no. This time and one other time that could be translated something else. So this should be translated but or maybe yes and no. Yes, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered and no, this will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Next verse. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. I love this word, hypernicomen. Literally, we're hyper conquerors. We're super conquerors through him who loved us. From our study of the Revelation, you may remember that Jesus sends letters to these seven messengers that I think are the seven spirits and the seven churches. And in each letter, he says, to him who conquers. And then he just makes this outrageous promise. These outrageous promises like, to you who conquer, you will sit on my throne. That is an outrageous promise. 
And so it raises this question, who can conquer? Nikaos, same word. Then the heavens open up. Remember, the heavens open up, and John begins to weep because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth has conquered, and so no one is worthy to open the scroll in the hand of God. And then this voice says, weep no more, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And at that, John looks, but he doesn't see a lion. Remember what he sees? Something else. And then, and then in the Revelation, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them begins to worship the super conqueror. <laughs> so cool. Anyway, next verse. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has conquered. And so um, why are we still being led like sheep to the slaughter? Jesus has conquered. Jesus is the eschatos Adam. He's the superman, the true man. He's the true man, so what could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Well, let's review. Can we just read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39? Now let's read what came before what we started reading on Easter. Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of heliothesis, sonship. By that spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The spirit himself, and this is the ESV, we read the NRSV before, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So check this out. The Spirit of Christ helps our spirit, witnesses to our spirit, helps our spirit believe just who it is that we already are, the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and you remember what he inherits, provided, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons and daughters of, of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It didn't want this, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, or upon hope, or on hope, or, or to hope, Futility. Futility is things not working in time, right? So you hope to build a house, you hope to raise a, a child, you hope to make a life, and then in time, you encounter obstacles. And then you say, this is futile. Futility is the experience of chaos when you hope for logos. Futility is the experience of death when you long for, for life. Futility is the knowledge of evil. 
God doesn't do futility, but God does subject us to futility. No good parent chooses futility for their child, and yet every good parent subjects their children to futility in hope. The hope that their child will freely choose the good. My daughter Elizabeth, she used to always just say, I do it, I do it, I do it, I do it, Daddy, I do it. And, and I knew it would fail. But at a certain point, I'd say, okay, do it. And then Elizabeth would have some painful experience of futility and say, Daddy, help me do it, help me do it. As I told you, one day she chose to have no daddy, and by the end of that day, she just threw herself across my lap, sobbing, crying, I want a daddy, I love you, daddy, oh, I want a daddy, and a mommy, and a family. God subjected creation to futility in hope. But in hope is more literally translated upon hope, on hope, or to hope. I get why the translators would translate it in hope, but I see why Paul wrote upon, on, or to hope, for what does it mean for God to hope? God knows the end from the beginning. His will actually is the end and the beginning. God is eternal. I subjected Elizabeth to futility in hope that she would choose the good. But when God subjects all things to futility, he already knows if we will or we won't choose the good. Right? So if, if you, assuming you were a male a, a, with a bride, a wife, if you knew that you would create a child whom you would love but be forced to torture in endless and unspeakable pain with unspeakable wrath for that child would never choose the good, would you just say to your bride, hey, let's just hold off for a second here and I'll send over another seed, <laughs> another sperma, because I got billions, I got billions. Well, God not only foreknows, according to Paul, he not only predestines, he is eternal. He doesn't simply hope, he is hope. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. That means that God is not a thing in time. He's the creator of time. And yet in him, those of us that live in time, in him we live and move and have our being. I think that means that eternity is not timeless so much as time full. And that's why I keep showing you this picture I believe this is how the ancients viewed time. This age or these ages are, are like on a, on a timeline of chronological time in which one moment necessary, necessarily follows another. The Bible refers to six or seven ages of chronological time, like the days of creation, but there is an age to come that is also at hand. It's as if chronological time is a womb in the eternity of God, and yet time has been impregnated with eternity. And you have become impregnated with eternity. You see, Christ in you is eternal life in you. It's eternity now. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. God doesn't simply hope. He is hope. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it 
to hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption or decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for huiothesion, sonship, the redemption of our bodies. One day this old stone temple that is you will be entirely filled with the Spirit of God who is eternal life. For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we are delivered. And last time we noted that decay, the second law of thermodynamics, is a function of time. It's how we know that we're stuck in time. We die. We see it happening all the time. We, we die. But eternity is freedom from the bondage of space and time. Paul talks about God foreknowing us. You know, to Jeremiah, God said this, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. God foreknows us, predestines us, and Paul even talks to us as if he has already glorified us, seated us in the heavenly places with Christ, and created us in his image. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created, past tense, in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them in time. Ephesians 3.22. So put off the old man and put on the new man created, already created, after the likeness of God. Crazy. People argue about the pre-existence of souls, but eternity is not simply pre-existence or post-existence, but existence beyond our concept of space and time. And we're not simply talking about weird bubbles of consciousness, you know, floating somewhere in the universe, this weird thing we call a soul. We're talking about a finished person existing in perfection and absolute Freedom. He's talking about freedom. Freedom is so hard to talk about in this world of time because I think it is somehow the presence of eternity. But when I think of freedom, because freedom is hard to talk about, well, I picture this. I picture this. Freedom for Peter Hyatt feels like driving this $2 million 1972 Lamborghini Miura. Miura, I think I'm saying that tight. 1972 Lamborghini, Freedom is driving this 1972 Lamborghini Miura the entire length of I-70 with no speed limits. And the Rolling Stones blasting over the stereo. While my lovely bride in a string bikini sits in the passenger seat staring at me in admiration and loving devotion. And I think God is saying to you and to me with certain modifications, Peter, this is actually what you are. Perhaps you yourself are a new Corvette. Or maybe you're like a brand new Jeep Wrangler with big old mutter tires on it. Or maybe you're like a 67 VW bus with a peace sign painted on, on the side. But basically that's what you are. But what you don't know that you are but it is also what you somehow hope that you will be. Three years ago, I found this picture online. 
and kept it on my computer. I recently learned it's titled Disintegrating X. We think it's a 1972 Lamborghini Miura exploding, for that's the only way that we in space and time could make sense of those nuts and bolts. I don't know if you can see all of them because of the screens, but that's the only way that we could make sense of all of those nuts and bolts flying uh, through the air in, in space and time. It, it's a disintegrating 1972 Lamborghini Miura, but it's actually a reintegrating 1972 Lamborghini Miura being reassembled in space and time. The Swiss artist Hans Ofner, I investigated all this, took 1,500 pictures over two years of his friend's 1972 Lamborghini Miura as it was being reassembled by mechanics, and then he compiled all of the photos in this one image. When I started working with this car, he shares, I was seeing it just as a Lamborghini Miura. But as the days went by, it became more and more special to me. It's not just a Lamborghini Miura anymore. It's become a bit like a person. Now it rolls on the road finished and fully restored, and every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I know you. See, I think a day is coming when God will hold up a mirror and you'll get a good look at yourself and exclaim, Oh, I know you. And in some really weird way, I've always wanted to be you. And yet for some reason, I couldn't be you. You are truly who I am. Hey, your name is Peter. And your name is Jesus? Now, I don't know if I said that exactly right, but you can read the Revelation about the stone with two names on it if you want. I don't know if I said that exactly right, but I do think God looks at you and says, you are my masterpiece. You are my workmanship. This is who you truly are. And then what happens? You look in the mirror, and all you see is this. A nut. Maybe a couple of loose screws. Satan comes along, and he whispers to you, that's all you are. Nuts. But you should be a 1972 Lamborghini Miura. So what do you do? Well, you start gathering all the nuts and bolts and various car parts that you can find trying to build a 1972 Lamborghini Miura. And what do you build? You build something that maybe kind of sort of has the shape of a car, but it is absolutely not a 1972 Lamborghini Miura. It's a false 1972 Lamborghini Miura. Uh, to say it in Greek parlance, it's an anti Miura. And it doesn't work. 
it's utterly futile. And if it were to ever work, it would have to be disintegrated and reintegrated, deconstructed and reconstructed, destroyed and rebuilt. <laughs> well, you're not a car, but you actually are a temple, and the temple is a city, and the city is actually a body, and th that body is actually the body of a bride named the New Jerusalem. You know, it's utterly astonishing if you pay attention how many times Jerusalem has been built, destroyed, and then rebuilt, all in attempted obedience to God's commandment. And then the new Jerusalem at the end of Scripture comes down new from heaven, not made of stone, but flesh and blood, and filled with eternal life, the very glory of God. Romans 8, 24. In this hope we were saved. Delivered. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as, uh, for as, as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I just noticed this this morning after 60 years. But if you were to translate this literally, this is a present active participle. It would go like this. And we know that for those Loving God, that's the participle, one word. We know that for those loving God, all things work together for good. So in moments that I am loving God, all other moments work for my good. Past, present, and future. And yet in moments where I am not loving God, The same is not said. See, it's like I have two me's, right? And I can live in one of two me's. One me believes that it is the creation of love, it receives love and gives love, the true me. There's another me that believes I am my own creation. That's a false me. If I live in the one me, all things work together for my good. See, I'm, I'm like a, a baby in the womb. And when the travail comes, when the birth pains come, what does that mean? It means that my entire world is, waking for, wait, is, is working for, for, for my good. But if I, if I think that I'm like the placenta or the umbilical cord or something, ah, but I'm not. Those things aren't me. Those things aren't conscious. Anyway, this is what it says. And we know that for those loving God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also, and, and script, Paul says that if we love because God has known us. That's, anyway, but for those who he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And if you're not predestined, then you were not called by the word who creates all things. And you were not known by the one who knows all things. And so you actually don't exist. <laughs> You're an illusion that cannot hear what I just said. But you do hear what I just said. So you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Jesus. Now, if there was ever anyone that did exactly what God asked, it was Jesus. And this is what he looked like in the end from the standpoint of time. The cross was designed by the Romans to do what? Utterly dismantle a person's psyche. Has there ever been a greater picture of bondage and futility than a naked man covered in blood and nailed to a tree? The cross was designed to disintegrate a man's ego. And now this is an artist's depiction, because I don't think anybody on earth could really depict this, but this is an artist's depiction of what Jesus looked like in the end that is also the beginning. This is what he looks like from the standpoint of eternity. This is what John saw when he turned after the voice said, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He turned and he saw a lamb. That's a sheep, a little sheep. A lamb standing as if it had been and always were newly slain. And Paul writes that this was the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. The slaughtered lamb standing on the throne, the firstborn of all creation. Cross and throne, same thing, one from the standpoint of the womb and the other from the standpoint of eternity. Somehow, we actually got the biblically insane idea that Jesus suffered and died so we would never have to suffer and die. But Scripture just screams that Jesus suffered and died so we would suffer and die with him and then rise with him and join him on the throne of God. God subjected us to creation and he leads us all to... I mean, maybe you didn't know this, but you're going to die. So just deal with it. God subjected us to futility, and he leads us all um, to slaughter so we would conquer with him, reign with him, and create reality with him and know just who it is that we are. A good and finished piece of workmanship, the workmanship, the masterpiece of the living God. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. The perfect image of the invisible God. And we have been predestined to absolute freedom. Jesus is so free that he literally speaks reality into existence and he freely chooses to choose reality with you from the throne in the inner sanctuary of your soul. And check this out. He has not only predestined you to freedom in the future, this outrage, you have been predestined to freedom that is now. 
The creation groans to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, those that have the first fruits of the Spirit. I think that must be what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self under control. You know, when I try to create those things, what do I create? I create the opposite of those things. Have you ever told yourself, you better love or else? That will make you hate everyone else and yourself and your God. Have you ever tried really, really hard to be joyful? Boy, I have. Ask my wife, vacation, first couple days of vacation. You'll make yourself miserable. Have you ever gotten really stressed about peace? You know, your internal peace. I'm not at peace. I'm anxious about my anxiety. Or have you ever grown impatient with your own lack of patience? I have. I suck at patience. Or have you ever beaten yourself up for being unkind? That's not going to make you kind. Have you ever taken the good trying to make yourself good? Kind of every day, right? Well, that makes you a slave to evil, which is utter bondage to futility. And yet, and yet, you have experienced moments of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and, and faith. And, and when was that? Well, if you reflect on it, they were not moments in which you comprehended them. In fact, you weren't even really thinking about them. They were more like moments in which they comprehended you or they knew you. And what are they? Well, they're not things you can see. And yet they're the, they're the only things that make anything you can see valuable or worthwhile. I mean, golden streets, seriously, and Lamborghinis are utterly worthless if you can't drive them or drive down them with someone that you love. That loves you. In that moment, like God. The fruit is unseen and it's unchanging and it's free because it's eternal. And yet it's birthed from the bride that is me when I am known and I am loved. I can't comprehend love. I can only surrender to love in the inner sanctuary of my heart right now. Now is the moment that eternity touches time and I become who I am, who it is that I already am, a 1972 Lamborghini Miura, so to speak. You know, when I preach because I think that I have to build a church and become a great pastor, I just die inside. And everything just seems so futile. Check this out. Whether there are books and thousands of people or not. I mean, I was like this 15 years ago. And yet usually each time I preach, I have these moments when I just forget about me. Because I find myself caught up in him, and there he tells me who I am. And then I think, you know, it really doesn't matter if anybody listens. It doesn't matter what happens in time. I just have to preach good news. And in those moments, I experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the good, faith. 
and freedom. I feel like a 1972 Lamborghini Miura driving 200 miles an hour down Interstate 70 with the Rolling Stones, can't you hear me knocking, playing on the stereo, and my wife, although she doesn't like to wear bikinis anymore, but she's looking at me with admiration and devotion. I mean, I just, I feel free. On Easter, you'll remember that St. Paul borrowed my tent to explain who it is that each of us truly are. We're like the old stone temple, remember, in Jerusalem, constructed by human hands that contains this inner tent, this sanctuary that's not constructed by human hands, but by God. The old stone temple is like the me that I think I create, the me in this world, the the old Adam. And the inner sanctuary is like the me that God creates and has created, the new and eternal Adam. And then we learn that our old Adam is constructed with our judgments, It's literally pregnant with our new Adam, which is constructed with God's judgments. And that new self grows within the old self, not by trying to grow with its own judgments and willpower, but surrendering its own judgments and willpower to the judgments and willpower of God our Father. So, when I try to justify myself with my judgments, I just increase the bondage. But when... I enter into the inner sanctuary and surrender to the judgment of God, my Father, and so believe that I am justified, that new self grows in time. Although it is already finished in eternity. And that means that when you wreck your life, you haven't wrecked your life. You're still just waiting to be born. Your new self is literally constructed with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the good, and the faith of Jesus. Those are literally, check this out, those are literally the eternal judgments of God manifest in the temporal failure that you thought was yourself but is in fact an illusion. Your new self is the birth of eternity in time. And so it's free, although it will cost you. What will it cost you? All of your temporal illusions. What I'm saying is your ego will get slaughtered. So the word says that you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. But you look in the mirror and you see a nut and a couple of loose screws. Satan whispers, that's all you are, nuts. But you ought to be a 1972 Lamborghini Miura. And so what do you do? You start gathering all the nuts and bolts you can. Maybe you steal some from other cars. Whether you think you take them from others or come by the pieces yourself, you know, God puts them all in your life. Do you realize this? You can only steal from him. I mean, and then only because he allows it. He's the one that owns everything. The pieces are are people and things and events and experiences in space and time. What are they? They are all things. That would include your parents, people that have blessed you, people that have cursed you, 
things you have judged a success, things that you have judged a failure. It would include your good deeds. It would also include what you call your sins. It would include blessings you've been given and even the most heinous crimes committed against you, like, you know, maybe being stripped naked, beaten, bloodied, and even nailed to a tree. All things work together for the good with those loving God, and who are they? Those called according to his purpose. Jesus was called according to his purpose. Adam, which means humanity, was called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good with those loving God, for those called according to his purpose. And I think that's true whether or not they're aware of it at the time. Jeremiah was known and called long before he was ever able to love God in time. So was Paul. And so are you. Well, Satan whispers you're nuts and you ought to be a Lamborghini Miura. And so in fear and shame, you try to make yourself into the image of God, right? So what do you do? You try to arrange the pieces of your life so that they somehow resemble Jesus. But at a certain point, you realize that all your efforts are just what? Futile. You realize trying to love God, you've ended up only hating God. Striving for joy, you've made yourself miserable. Working for faith, you find, I just, I'm just filled with doubt. Taking the good, you have only what? Crucified the good and killed the life. In other words, it's not working. <laughs> and yet that's precisely when it is working. For God has subjected all creation to futility in hope. And for the sake of hope, because he is hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So, you are a nut. But you are also something like a Lamborghini Miura. And that means you're not a random nut. You're not an accidental nut. You're a very specific and irreplaceable nut. In shame and fear and wantonness, you try to put yourself together, and sorry for the pun, but it's actually not a pun. You get screwed. And you end up just crucifying those around you. But even that, the very worst of all evils, reveals the greatest of all good, the, the glory of God. On the cross, we all took the life of God, the Lamb of God. And on the cross, the Lamb of God delivered himself up for us. He delivered up his Spirit, who is our helper, who descends into our hearts and counsels us to hope. Not in ourselves, but in God, our Father. In other words, he draws us into the inner tent, into the very judgment of God, and so in Christ we lose ourselves and find ourselves. We lose our psyches and find them. We lose our lives and find them as we listen to the judgment of God our Father. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am just so pleased. You're my beloved daughter, in whom I, I just delight, Elizabeth. You crack me up. What I'm trying to say is that eternity is not based on our judgments in space and time. 
but all of our good judgments, all of our free judgments in space and time are based upon eternity. When we try to create ourselves with our own judgments, we put all of the pieces together with the wrong meaning and we trap ourselves in insanity and illusions and the deepest bondage. So what can separate us from the love of God? Well, only the illusions that we create in our own mind. That's what the evil one feeds on, if you didn't know it. Only the illusions that we create in our own mind, but then only for a time, for in Christ God speaks the eternal word into our heart right now. Right now, and in any now, you can enter the inner sanctuary in the temple of your soul, commune with the word of God in spirit, and give birth to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and faith. And what are they? They are the judgment of God. And that is who you actually are. You are not what you think you have accomplished or not accomplished. You are what God has accomplished from the foundation of the world and in you right, right now. And when you become who you already are, all the pieces, all the events, all the things in your life will begin to come together in a remarkable new way. And you begin to drive down the road in freedom and you begin to say, hey, I know you. I've always wanted to be you. And now by the grace of God, I am. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You will know the evil, but you will constantly choose to be yourself. The good. And you will give all the glory, even as he gives it back to you. In other words, you'll worship. You will just say, wow. You're not a car. You're not simply a house or a city. You're a bride and a body, the eternal body of our living Lord. You cannot create yourself, but you are giving birth to yourself. And when you realize that, it changes everything. Past, present, future. Something I never told you. Something happened when I was a boy. There was an incident with a, with a man. Who was that? I'd never seen him before. Stranger. How old were you? I don't remember. Young. I was so small. I remember. I remember. I was naked. Take your time. I was so naked. I hated being naked. And I remember I was crying and then he hit me. Adrian, I'm so sorry. There was blood. There was blood everywhere. I was screaming. I wanted him to stop. And my mother 
Another was smiling. Wait, wait, your, your mother was there? Why didn't she stop him? She was supposed to protect me. He kept hitting me, swinging me around upside down. You were upside down? Was he wearing a mask? Yeah. I never wanted to be naked again. Adrian, that man was a doctor. You're remembering your own birth. Doctor? Doctor? Anybody else, I wouldn't have believed it, but do you? Doctor? Mm-hmm. Well, that would explain a lot, actually. The lights and my father in the doorway holding a balloon. Mm-hmm. You feel better? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just love that clip. The moment that the genius Adrian Monk wakes up to reality. You see, it isn't God that's sleeping. It's always us. And what are we doing? We're dreaming that we are our own creator and our own creation. Next verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we're being killed all the day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered yes but in all these things we are more than conquerors super conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord And so the Lamb of God prepared a table before us. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, my body given to you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, it's the eternal covenant in my blood. He said, drink of it, all of you. Drink logos into chaos. Drink light into darkness. Drink truth into your lies. Drink reality into your illusions. When you come to the table this morning, the person holding the bread will also be holding a bowl of nuts, quarter-inch nuts from Home Depot like this. I invite you to take a nut and then just put it in your pocket, remembering that you're nuts. You really are. You're nuts. You're a nut. 
and then take the body and blood, remembering that you are also something else. <laughs> something like a 1972 Lamborghini Miura. And then when you feel nuts, I feel nuts a lot. <laughs> Gotta be careful here. Anyway, I feel, I feel insane. When you feel nuts, life feels futile and you just want to quit. Hold that nut and then pray this prayer. Father, I've been trying to put my life together and I made a mess of things. Thank you that you will put my life together and thank you that you always have been putting my life together in time. And now we will put our life together in the sanctuary of my soul. And I will know me as I am in you. Hmm. Wow. Amen. And so one thing remains. And you might think, okay, but what happens to all the other things? What happens to no thing? Well, St. Paul says that uh, in the end, God fills everything. <laughs> so even no thing becomes God's something, and it's all love. And in case you were wondering, well, what happened to those Israelites that died in the desert? Well, God, uh, Paul's going to be talking about those for chapter 9, 10, and 11. Uh, just to give you a preview, Moses, who died in the desert, shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. So the story's not over with those guys. But if you're uh, feeling this week um, like a nut, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. If you're feeling like life is just futile and you want to quit, well, just remember, maybe you can even pull out this quarter-inch nut from Home Depot. Remember that you are a nut, and you're something like a 1972 Lamborghini Miura in absolute freedom. And, and if you say to yourself, well, you know, I don't feel like that right now, I go, of course. I mean, um, a baby doesn't feel that way at Three, month, three weeks of gestation in the womb doesn't feel like it doesn't feel free, does it? God is revealing that in time. Um, and God will finish what he started. And, and maybe you say, maybe you say, well, God, look at them. They look like they're so together. Well, maybe they're a tricycle, okay? Easy to put together. Do you know how hard it is to put together someone like a St. Paul? <laughs> and maybe that's you. Whatever the case. Um, that's what you are, a masterpiece, the workmanship of God our Father. So all I'm saying is, in Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.